last seven days of Jesus Christ before he went to the cross. But I will just give you a summary today which will help you understand exactly that what I'm saying is the truth. There is nobody who went to university and plays during the time others are studying or go to the university lecture whenever he chooses to. None of such people graduate. They always tell the stories of when they used to go to university. They will have no paper to show. So also, we will see in these last days, seven days of Jesus Christ, what was the major concern of the heart of Jesus. We have seen the Jesus who was anointed with Holy Spirit and power and who went about doing good. We have seen the Jesus introducing the book of Mark, the miraculous signs and wonders Jesus. We have seen the Jesus introduced by the book of Luke and Matthew, the Jesus who, when he was coming, angels first came and announced his coming. And we saw how the Bible talks about the forerunner, and this Jesus began to grow the things he went through, and then eventually, look, if we go to chapter 4, after talking about genealogy, he went about his temptation, and then he began ministry. And we have seen that Jesus who went about healing the sick, who went about doing good, who went about casting out devils. But the last seven days of this Jesus changed completely. I don't know if you have noticed it. Somebody looking at his death, for sure, in a short time he'll be killed. And he'll be killed in such a ferocious manner that this world had never seen. All right. How, what do you expect of him the last seven days? You will not read about healing the blind anymore, raising the dead anymore, healing the crippled anymore. He began to concentrate on the main purpose where he, why he came. He spent the seven days talking about the kingdom of God and his coming again. So we looked at the book of Matthew last Sunday, chapter 21. But if we go from that chapter 21... We saw how Jesus Christ rode the donkey to Jerusalem, how he entered into the church, and he found out that they have turned the church to disco, film house, like people do today. I was amazed to hear that people are now coming to have fun in church. I was approached some time ago in a Christian uh, 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 conference that I was invited to come and speak in London, a man walked to me and the man said that I'm a, I'm a Christian comedian. And he gave me, he stretched to give me his card uh, that I should invite him to come and do comedy in my church. And I said to the man, do you know who you are speaking with? He said, no, sir. I said, this is Apostle Alfred Williams. I said, I understand that it is not for comedy that God sent his son Jesus Christ. When you turn the house of God to the place of comedy, I believe very much that something is wrong with the persons who are the head of such organization and something is badly wrong with everybody who sits under such comedy. I said to him, it was not for comedy for God to leave his throne in heaven and come in human flesh. It was not for comedy for him to put on sin. It was not for comedy for him to submit himself to the hand of the one that he cast out of heaven. 
It was not for joke that he came to this world. If it is for joke, then our hope is useless. And I told him that God is still on my own altar. If God is not on the altar, you may bring jokers. And I began to recognize from there that in big Christian meetings, they do it, especially in Nigeria. Even the fathers of faith in some of the nations we sit down, they themselves are part of those who invite these guys to come. I told the guy, if I was invited to be a guest minister in any church and they brought a comedian before me, I would go to the pulpit and I would say to them that you have already seen your God. I do not belong to this part of organization. I'm gone. Because the one behind comedy is flesh. And the one who controls flesh is Lucifer. I would not be one of those who will be deceived in this end time. Because many have been deceived. So Jesus, therefore, when he came to this period of his life, the Bible says he went into the temple and they have turned it to a place of buying and selling, making profit for themselves. People will bring their business into the church because it's in the church, they will find a member that they could sell it to. After church service, then it's the next thing is their own business. And all these things come from the devil. Anyone who does it, Jesus showed us from first principle. He took a horse whip and whipped them out of the, of the church. He killed them out of the church. Now, it is not possible for any Christian to do that now and expect Jesus not to kill him. He will. So he drove those people, both their priests and their traders, out of the church. And then when he left there, he was going with his disciples where he saw the fig tree. And that is from verse 18. And then the fig tree looked like, you know, a tree that has fruits. And Jesus got to the fig tree expecting to eat. And when he got there, he found out that it did not bear a single fruit. So after wiping the, king, the, 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 host, the church of all these you know, useless innovations of humanity, the next thing he dealt with was fruitlessness, a sense of hope that has no hope. A lot of us present ourselves like the fig tree. Believers who present themselves as if they are bearing fruit, but in their real work, they are contrary. The Bible says Jesus cursed them. Those who serve Jesus need to know that as it was in the beginning, so it is now. Your life must not be full of false hope. You must not call yourself what you are not. You must not present yourself beyond what you are. You must always be frank and be, you know, let everybody know who you are and what you are. When a Christian begins to exalt himself and elevate himself beyond what he really is, then you are giving people false hope. If you pretend as if you are a very fruit-bearing Christian, a very prayerful Christian, but you are not, you are giving a type of false hope. Now what happened, there are two lessons in this scripture. Jesus cursed the tree and the tree withered instantly. Okay, which means that it is zero tolerance in the church. You can never be neither cold nor hot. Jesus will not accept it. But at the same time, at the end of this lesson, this, uh, this um, uh, incident, he taught a lesson. It says in verse 
20 of that scripture. Matthew 21. When the disciples saw, saw this, because the, the, this, the, the, the tree withered immediately. How did the fig tree wither quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go through yourself in the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will what? receive whatever you ask for in prayer. This word challenges me. I don't know about you. Jesus, after cursing the tree, and the tree died, and the disciples at the time was that they were amazed. And they asked Jesus that, but how could you do this? And it happened immediately. That is their own excitement. Okay. And Jesus said to them that, well, let me tell you, folks, if you can ask God in prayer for anything. When I was reading this scripture, I was very challenged because it says, if you ask for anything, anything doesn't mean some things. There's no qualification in the word anything than it is anything. And it says that if you have anything from the Lord and you believe and you do not doubt, it says you will receive. And I began to think about many times we have struggled over little things. Really little promises that God gave us. Something has to shift. Jesus particularly addressed the issue or the fundamental root of authority. He says, I cast the fig tree and it dies instantly because when I say something, I do not doubt it. And then Jesus said that, look, you too. Anytime you can speak and you do not doubt that which you have said, is bound to happen. Jesus has given us understanding that as human beings, we carry such an enormous power and authority. Okay, well, there's a lot of lectures, a lot of things in the Bible to help us understand faith. But what Jesus is saying fundamentally is this. Believe in yourself and believe in what you say. He said, whatever you speak in prayer, that will happen. Come on now. You know, Jesus is about to leave because in a short time, a few days' time, he will no more be there to pray for them. They have to now do the job. How only the, the principle of faith the Bible says that these Pharisees question his authority. The Pharisees haven't seen miracles. Instead of them to learn how it is done, they question his audacity to perform miracles. And it says, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him by the and, 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 and came to him and said, By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you this authority? Now what this tells you and I is this. No matter what miracles that God will do in this church, when you go into the world, you will always have those who will be puzzled by it. And they want to identify with it. But they are always few. You will always have the majority who will contempt it. 
And he will say that, what does he think he's doing, by the way? Don't you think that the manifestation of power of God through you will impress everybody? It will not. Even you, will, you may be shocked that you may have antagonists in the church. But, you know, I learned how Jesus, I learned a deep wisdom from how Jesus answered. You know, Jesus said to them, okay, I tell you, by what authority, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, Jesus said, where did it come from? From heaven or from men? He said, they discussed among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe or believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. Then they said, we don't know. So Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm, going, I'm, I'm doing these things. I think one of the things that struck me in this is the intelligence of Jesus Christ and his wisdom to quell situations that will have erupted in crisis. If someone says to me that Jesus was not a judge, I will ask you that, you know, what kind of reasoning is that? That's the reason of a judge. You accused him. All right. And you challenge his audacity. Then he asks you a question to help you understand that what you are saying is really foolish. All right? So that by your own mouth, you admit that you are foolish. That's what Jesus did to them. Jesus understood the season and he understood everything about what they're going through. That these people rejected the ministry of John. They said all manner of things against John until they killed him. And in a short time, they will kill him as well. Jesus. I believe that we need to learn how to apply God's wisdom to avoid unnecessary arguments. When people put you on the line, they want arguments. You understand? If you, if you fall into their trap, you can't win them in their territory. They know how to argue well. But you can not, you may decide not to reply, but take a little bit of regress. To think deep so that you answer them, their questions, with questions that will shock their mouth in arguments. I learned quite a lot from Jesus. This is the last period of Jesus Christ. And by so, I believe that he demonstrated to his disciples how they must be wise in discussing or getting into dialogue. Then he began his real mission. From the next verse, which is verse 28, to the end of his lectures, he started talking about the kingdom. He started talking about the kingdom. The parable of the two sons is such a very, very, very brief. He said, he said, a man said to one son, go and work for me. And the son said, I will do it. But he didn't do it. Then he said to the other one, go and do the job. He said, no, 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 I'm not doing it. And the one who said, I'm not doing it, then did it. He said, which one of them has obeyed the father? And Jesus was saying to them that, look, he doesn't need procrastinators in the church. He needs people who will do the job. 
It's very interesting that your, your, your confession in your mouth doesn't really move Jesus. It is your action that really matters to him. Can you imagine a child said to the father, I'm not doing it. That is rude, isn't it? But he's the one that was accepted because after he said that, he repented and he did it. But the other one said, Daddy, just say anything, I'll do it. Just, just mention, I'll do it. But he never did it. Jesus began to teach principles of the kingdom from this hour because he will soon leave the guys. It is not those who promise, it is those who deliver. It is not how much you say you want to do, it is how much you really have done. And I think that principle is not only a principle for the Lord God, for his kingdom, it is a principle for success. A procrastinator will never end his life up in any joy. Every day you say you will do something, you didn't take an action, you are one day older. And every year you refuse to start that which you have said, you are one year older. Add one year plus another year, that is two years of procrastination. Add two years, another two years is four years. Multiply that by two is eight years, and by two sixteen years. In a short time, you will recognize there are many people that at the time were saying that, I cannot do it, but they started but you who said, I will do it, 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 I will do it. And he didn't have It's not a good principle. Jesus established faith. Then he's talking about work. All right? But if you look further, he went to talk about the parable of the talents. It says there was a landowner, verse 33. Who planted a vineyard, he put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a water, water tower, a watchtower rather. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent the servants to the study, tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized the servants, they, they, they beat one, killed another. And stoned the third. Then he sent other servants to them. More than the first time. And the tenants treated them as, uh, the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will, re- they, they will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to, the, to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and, and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? He will bring those watches, those wretched wretches, to a wretched end. They replied, and he will rent the vineyard to another tenant who will give him his share of the crops and the best time. Now he's talking now to the disciples. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scripture the stone that the builders rejected was, has become the capstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and give to a people who will produce its fruits. I was talking to everybody. He, should f- he, who f- he who falls on this stone 
will be broken to pieces, but he who upon whom the, the stone falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees had this, these parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held, held that he was a prophet. Now, let me say something to you. This parable that he was speaking, which the Pharisees reacted, is a parable applicable to conventional church today. If we are not careful, we will become lukewarm like the other churches that have come before us. The reason for a, a reformation in the church was that the old church became lukewarm and became liturgical to the place whereby Holy Spirit was extinguished from the church. And then you had the reformation and then the reformation got cold and then you have another reformation and the reformation got cold. Now you have all this Pentecostal and ecumenical, the saying is, you know, stop. But if you look at the current church as well, it seems as if we have got to the peak. We have become so materialistic, we have kicked out the sun from the church. And Jesus is so clear about his principles that when a Christian becomes that, or a church becomes that, a people becomes that, God replaces them. It was a direct word to the, to the Pharisees, but also a warning to those who are followers. The parable of the wedding banquet. The parable of the wedding banquet, Jesus spoke about a man who wanted to, who invited his friend for a banquet. And after the time was up for the banquet, he now asked for his servants to go and bring his friends. And each one of the friends had an excuse. Okay? I think, then Jesus said, go to the highway and bring everybody that is possible. Anyone that wants to feed with me, to eat with me, bring them. I think that we learn something very strongly in it, that Jesus is saying to us, The privilege of salvation that he had given to us should not be abused by us. His office, let another take. Whatever God makes of you in the church, all right, be careful. Because God can remove you from the office. Really, not just about the church. In life. In life. You know, the man called a banquet with his money. He lavished himself. Then he called, invited his friends. Everybody said, we are coming, we are coming, we are coming. On the day of banquet, he called for them. They weren't there. They weren't there. We must be people who are dependable. You must be someone that God can rely upon. Come rain, come sunshine. But if you read that scripture down, you will discover that among these, you know, people that was brought, the beggars and the rest of them, when they came in, they gave them a new cloth. Huh? Which validates what we are talking about, salvation. And then when the man, the king came, the king was moving around and he saw a man in the house. But he hasn't got that garment. It is possible for you to come to church, but you are not saved. What did the man say? The king said, who is that man without the garment? Take him out. He says, take him out. Now, Jesus is taking his time revealing to us what is expected of the church before his next coming. 
And then he says, that statement that you all, almost everybody say, many are called, few are chosen. <laughs> many are called, few are chosen. Verse 14. Then if you look at the scripture further, Jesus continued to be tested by them and also to teach about the kingdom. But he concentrated on teaching about his coming again. The next thing that went, well, that, you know, went around with him was that the, 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 the Pharisees decided to test him again. And they, brought, uh, they came to him and asked him that, look, Jesus, verse 15 of chapter 22, it says they went to tell that they said, Teacher, <laughs> is it right for us to pay tax? Knowing fully well that the representative of Herod was there. And Jesus said, Give me a coin. And they brought the coin. And he said, Look at the coin that you are giving me, whose image is on it? What a wisdom. <laughs> and he said, Caesar. Then he said, then give Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give God. That is what they don't want to hear. They don't want to hear about God. Jesus sees every opportunity to reveal God. And you know, there's a principle Jesus spoke there too. Christians ought to pay tax. Whether you are a minister, you are anointed with fire or whatever. You have to pay tax because the tax belongs to the government. But if I may help understand or put a point of correction in this, I have seen people use this word, give Caesar what is Caesar and give God what is God, when they are trying to shy away from faith because of impending fear. I would gather now. I remember when I went to. You know, when I had encounters with some people who are idol worshippers, and people said to me that uh, you don't confront these people because the Bible says give Caesar what is Caesar's. And I told them that none of these people is Caesar. These are idol worshippers. <laughs> the Bible says the reason the Son of God manifests is to destroy the devil's works. They, they say that because they want to shy away from confrontation in faith because they are afraid. That is not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying categorically here, pay tax to the government. Respect the government. And he did a lot of teaching about that. But also give God what is God. What about the next thing? Marriage at the resurrection. You see, these people knew that from what Jesus is speaking, categorically, his time will soon be over. The Pharisees had knowledge that his time will soon be over. He had been talking about his passing away. And Jesus dealt with all these cases. This is one of the scriptures, let me even help you with this. That tells you and I that there is no husbandry spirit. Spiritual husband is a lie. It does not exist. <laughs> Write it down. Let us read that story. 
Spiritual husband is a lie. It's from the devil. Any minister who says it is either they are ignorant or they have been lied to. Look at what it says. Verse 23. That same day, Sadducees, who, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having, a, having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. You know they said from Moses. Yes? Good. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his junior brother. The same thing happened at, uh, to the second and the third brother. Right after the seventh brother. So that woman with her, seven lives terminated. Finally, the woman also was died. Can you imagine? They tried to give Jesus the most complicated scenario. <laughs> I love it. Now then, at the resurrection, that is life after death, whose wife will she be of the seven? Since all of them were married to her. Now listen to this. A doctrine came out of it. Then Jesus replied, You are in error. <laughs> because you do not know the script, because you do not know the scripture or the power of God. At the resurrection, people neither marry nor be given in marriage. Now listen. They will be like Angels in heaven, people neither marry nor be given in marriage. No sexual intercourse for people who have died because they are like angels. So the doctrine there comes out if people who have died neither marry or given in marriage and they are like angels, therefore angels cannot be given in marriage. So where do you find husband with spirit? Where is the husband that is a spirit? Jesus said, those who have died are like angels because they do not marry, neither could they be given in marriage. Are we together? Come on now. Angels do not marry. Jesus says, neither could they be given. So how can somebody say that my husband, spiritual husband, Jesus says spirit cannot be given in marriage. Let me wear my glass. No, be so. How many Christians are delighted? You are suffering from husband and spirit. Which husband? It is a man. Occult people who by demonic power go into other people's dreams to defile them in sex. If you are a witch before, you will tell me that what I'm saying is the truth. Maybe you are listening to me on television now. So all of you who have believed that they said husbandry spirit, there is no such a thing. Jesus said, angels do not marry, neither can they be given. So who gave you the husband in the spirit? And he said someone confessed. He had given back to all her children in the spirit. That's another stupid thing. 
How can, if people can give birth to children in the spirit, Satan will produce more people than, than the angels of God. He will have just been producing children in the spirit so that the angels of Satan will outnumber human beings that are on earth and outnumber the numbers of angels in heaven. Demons cannot give birth because they don't have sexual organ. Sexual organ is only given for procreation. That is to give birth to children on earth and for the enjoyment of husband and wife. I don't know who brought this stuff into the church of God. I think uh, maybe I may suggest reasons why that would come. One of the fundamental reasons for error is try, when a human being who is a spiritual leader is, you know, enters into a realm where he wants to please others all the time. He will create an idol for them like Aaron did so that they can continue to respect him because he is no more hearing God and people must be given something to make them feel that God is still speaking to him. And it's the ironic fundamental, you know, which is the principle that came out of Aaron. Do us a God and he hand over a God to them. Jesus cannot lie. In resurrection, we do not marry none that we give him marry because we are like angels. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that God said to you, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead. <laughs> Hallelujah, somebody. For the God of the living, he meant forevermore. Now, listen to me. I will now want you to, when you get home, read through the next story the greatest commandment. I think we need to look at that and we'll jump into talking about the, the last days. So, hearing that, hearing that Jesus has silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. If you miss leg, if you miss ball, don't miss leg. <laughs> Satan will never give up on you. You know, he has set his cohorts, you know, in ranks and fires. But you know something, it doesn't matter how many times you try again. The Bible says, and the devil was not what? Strong enough. Revelations chapter 12 verse 8. 7 says there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and the angels fought against and they fought back. In eight, he said that they were not strong enough. Is that correct? Good. Sadducees, after Pharisees failed. After Pharisees, after Sadducees failed. Pharisees, Sadducees got themselves together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him. My oh my! <laughs> With this question, I think that expert in the law, because Jesus, I won't talk about this. I don't want to, I, we are not all lawyers or law students. Jesus operated in one of the four philosophies of law, of, 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 you know, judges' reasoning. One of the five philosophies of judges' reasoning. So that guy thought, hey, this guy, we didn't see him in law school. Okay, let me now give him a more difficult thing. He's talking of the law. Let me show him that I am a jurisprudent lawyer. All right. Jesus was looking at him. Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? 
which is the best of the law. Hmm. You know what Jesus said? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Let me help you understand something here. That is the law, fundamental law that God gave to humanity from scratch. If Jesus came to oppose the law as a judge, he has erred in the law and faltered and contradicted the authority of God. Do you know why I'm saying this to you? There are many times that people will ask you questions that will make you, if you are not intelligent enough, to deny the truth. They do that all the time. In trying to defend what you are saying, don't let them set a trap for you. Whatever you say, whatever question people ask, let me say something, always remain by the truth that is written. If it has to take you to say, oh yeah, what I said before, that's not really what I wanted to say. That's not what I meant. Okay? Now, haven't you asked this question and I recognize that I misrepresented my intention? Now, here, this is the word and this is the truth. You don't have to be an expert or faultless. Don't, don't try to defend what you are saying by, by contradicting what is written. Jesus said it. The greatest of all the laws. Lord, the Lord thy God. Yes, with all your heart, isn't it? And then with all your what? And then mind or might. This is the greatest, the first, the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. <laughs> that is what the jurisprudent lawyer missed. He must have been what they call in law a naturalistic view. Huh? Good night. Let me say something to you. <laughs> this judge must have been one of those wicked judges. Because Jesus told us about the wicked judge too, isn't it? Who oh, the woman with importunity continued to say, Grant me. So the judges of those days are uselessly ruthless. Are we together? They are perverts. Like we have some of them today. And Jesus says, the second, like it, is love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law of the nations hang on these two commandments. Jesus laid a, an intellectual debate, precedence. I have never seen the law of any country outside these two jurisdictions. Never. Never. Mention the law, you know. In any field. Law in engineering, law in business, law thought, law criminal, law anything. Law anything. International law, domestic law. Mention it. This is the root that gave birth to the two major philosophical reasons of law. And also details of law. And let me say this to you. Any Christians who obey this can never offend the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Okay? Then if you love God with everything, okay, you will not hurt man. 
anyway. And if you love humanity, your concept would be, if I do anything to her, how will I feel if such was done to me? Okay? And Jesus said the pedestal of relationship that is pleasing to God. Those who are Christians who are spirit, 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 God, God, God. You cannot please God. And those who are very benevolent, send all my monies to the people who are suffering in one country. All my money sent to this other country. You can't please God by that. To please God, you have to love God with all your heart. You must demonstrate it by your mindset. So that everything you do, you first weigh it in your heart with the word of God. Taking every thought captive, okay, and forcing them to the obedience of what is written. Then, if you have educated your mindset and your heart is full of the word, because the amount of the word of God in your heart determines how much you love God, okay, then it should affect your behavior to other people. If it cannot affect your behavior to other people, then your religion is dead. And Jesus said, apart from this too, there's no more law. I wish I can, I mean, I wish I'm discussing just with law students. There are some things I want to talk about now. You know, it's very interesting. We need to read Jesus very well. Then he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now, when you get on read through that scripture, and we go straight into the last part of him, and tomorrow I will continue. Jesus went into chapter 24 and changed. Formerly he was talking about the kingdom, about your preparation, your heart, your actions, your faith, your work. Then he began to talk about the signs of the end. The whole of chapter 24 hangs on Jesus talking about what will happen after many generations. How do we know the generation in which Jesus will come? And he enumerated by first saying, do not be deceived. Verse 4, Jesus answered, watch out that you are not deceived. Alright, watch out that you are not deceived. Then, if you look at verse 36, it says, no one knows about that day or hour, nor even angels in heaven or the Son, but the Father. Okay? And as it was in the days of Noah, so it, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. After the day, Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Then he says, that is how it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 42 says, therefore, keep watch. Watch out 
that you are not deceived, but keep watch because you do not know what day. If you look at chapter 25, it went further to say, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lambs. All right, that is the story of the five who who are reserved of their oil and the five who do not have reserve of their oil. Why was Jesus speaking about this? You know, he started 9, 24 to talk about the reason why you and I must watch out, must watch out, must keep watch. If you look at the end of that story in verse 18, 13, it says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day. So, the, if, you, if, you, if you ask me of the resolute statement for this generation Christianity is to watch out and keep watch. Keep watch that you are not deceived. Keep watch that you don't become lukewarm. Keep watch that you don't follow people. <laughs> don't, Christian must not jump into any fashion or culture that just emerged. What are you looking for? <laughs> you ought to be spiritual people. You give me the fashion of angels and how angels look and then you copy, we copy that. But a Christian today, you just see a particular fashion you go into it. Satan just got you. Because Satan, his thing is deception. It's one, 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 one chalk list to another. He will give you one today and then another tomorrow. Before you know it, you have gone away. And before you understand, you have gone too far. You know, there are some, some sins will not come to you except by the way you appear. Are we together now? If I, as I am so, if I just, uh, you know, as I, if, I, if I don't have my collar and I just walk on the streets, okay, and I'm suited up with tie or dressed gently, that will also determine who come to associate with me, who will come to want to be a friend of mine, who will come to want to talk with me, all right? But if on the second day I put on the jeans, all those jeans that fall down from their bombs, <clears throat> I don't know how they hang it on their waist with big belts, and the thing is almost falling. And so I am suffering walking, and my jeans is suffering trying to fall down. And so I had to walk the kind of walk like somebody who, who was just beating up and dislocated hips and stuff like that. And then the person who will come and say hi to me will also be walking dislocated. Hallelujah, <laughs> somebody. Hey, guy, hi, guy. Is the same me? Huh? The same way if a woman is well dressed and, you know, you know, responsibly appeared, you know, people who will go to such women will be men or others who have some reasonable or degree of reasonability. But the same woman, if she decides to paint the whole of the lips green and with black spots and then paint the, the face, uh, the eye, eye leaves, we call that one, shadow, and shadow it at red and red and then put some red spray in the hair and then wear um, a blouse that is, you know, perforated with the nipple coming out and then she now carries a small bag with a, 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 a mini pants, you know, skirt that is so 
not getting to the ground. The same woman, and then she walked like that in the night. Somebody will, will pack and press the horn, bam, because they will think she's a professional. Yeah, they're looking for a professional in the night. I would mean now, they, that's what they call them. They don't want to call them what they are. Yeah? That's a prostitute. But it's the same woman. What determined that approach? Her appearance. Whereas if she was well-dressed and she was standing, the man who is looking for a prostitute will not even dare. Even, they won't come and dare ask her that, do you know the shop of prostitutes? Because, you know, she would say that, do, do, are you, are you, do you, I'm sure your head is correct. Do I look like one of them? Isn't it? Uh, no, 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 such man would not come to her. So the way you appear has to do with what is inside you. It has to do with what is inside you. Watch out that you are not deceived. Watch out that you are not deceived. That's the reason why I, as a watchman of this church, it will never be said in the history of Christ in Tabernacle that my pastor or I, we don't have any God business to do anymore than to go and bring comedians to 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 the altar of God. I hate it more than the devil. Defiling a holy place. People who came from outside there, abused by the devil, who came to be released. Who came to be blessed. And somebody came up to waste their lovely time. I think even those who are non-Christian, who are just people who have knowledge, they won't waste their time looking at the useless man cracking jokes. What's, what's going on in his heart? That time you are cracking jokes, if I pick up some of the books, I get more knowledge. I have too many books to read now that I can't even catch up with. Then to come and bring God's people to the church only to debase their mind by introducing on the pulpit a satanic useless counterfeit masquerade who claims to be a servant of God only to come and while away their time and after some time collect money from them. And then another useless man will now come and say that he is blessing them in the name of Jesus. A lot of them will say Amen. People have been fooled enough. Watch out that you are not deceived. Tomorrow we're going to look at, if you look at this, therefore, every other thing that Jesus is talking about here is just about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God, the sheep and the goats. The plot, you know, and then he went on to talk about the parable of the talents. Then Jesus spoke about the parable of, after the ten virgins, he talked about the parable of the talents. He's talking about the sheep gates when he talks about you taking care of one another. Though most of these scriptures, some of them are abused by people now, or misapplied, I would say. But this is what led to the plot of a day like this in those days to kill Jesus Christ. And then he was betrayed. You know, before I stop tonight, I've just tried as much as possible to help you to understand that when Jesus Christ was going through his last seven days, his priority was to leave a legacy or to leave legacy to help the people that what else have I not taught them? Let me tell them. Or what areas do I need to equip them so that when I depart, these people can handle themselves? They will not, after I've gone, they will not be able to ask me a question and 
they should be able to do the things I've been doing, live the way I've done. He sent them in, in, in twos, you know, the twelve. Then he sent them again in chapter 10 of Luke, the 72. But now he's empowering them with knowledge. He's empowering them with information they need. And that's what led to the prayer in John 17. We'll look at the prayer of John 17 tomorrow by the grace of God. But I want to say this to you. We ought also to emulate Jesus Christ in all these things. Are we together? We don't have to wait for when we are dying before we are telling people, helping people, and you know, informing them, updating them, and preparing them. We don't have to. We don't have to. You know, to talk about death to your children does not mean you are dying tomorrow. If you have children, you must let them know when you die, what you want them to be before you die. This is what should be in your family. These are things that are not allowed. These are the things that are acceptable. If you carry the legacy of this home, this is what I expect of you. My father told me when I was young till when I was old. You know, not because he wanted to die or he thought he was going to die. Even the year he called me and said that I want to do a party this year because next year I can die. Because my father died at 70, so this is 69. I will do the party and die. He will sit me down and tell me, son, this is who I am. You are the son of Alfred Oshoniwali Williams. This and this and this you cannot do. This kind of accusation you cannot be. This kind of way you cannot reason. This kind of action you cannot do it. And showed me. In the Bible, look at this boy. I want to be like him. In the Bible, look at this boy. I want to be like him. But this character in him don't copy. But this is what Jesus is coming from him. And he told me, when I leave, this is what I want my family to be. And you are going to be the mouthpiece of the whole of my family. This and this and this is what we must do. Every secret of his life, he tells me the story of his life from scratch to finish. That is the reason why today I'm the only Williams in this world on earth. Who can tell any Williams the roots they came from? From Sierra Leone to Nigeria. Nobody under heaven who is a Williams knows what I know. Okay? He lived another nine years after he celebrated his departure. So when he celebrated 69th year that he's going to die next year, when he turned 70, we say, okay, now because you didn't die, now we will celebrate you. You celebrated your exit last year, now you are still here. So we now celebrated his 70th birthday and then finished. And he died at 79. That tells me that I will not die at 79 because my father thought he would die at 70 because his father died at 70. And he added nine years to it, isn't it? I think I will add better years than my father. <laughs> Hallelujah, somebody. But you know, the fact is, we must emulate Jesus Christ. Those of you who are parents, you must let your children know. You must equip your children. You must let them know that they are children of light and not sons of darkness. Why they cannot do what those people do. Why a Christian should not behave like they, the others behave. Why they cannot appear the way they appear. Why they must reason with God from their, their, their cradle. Because it makes your future easy. Few regrets when you grow older. And this is all about the last seven days of Jesus Christ. Tomorrow we will continue and look into the death of Christ. The cross. What is the cross to us? We look at the resurrection on Sunday. And we look at what the resurrection is. Tomorrow we will look at the cross. We look at the, last, the prayer of Jesus before he died. The cross. And then what happened when he was in the grave. And that's why we stop tomorrow. And then on Sunday we will go into 
the resurrection. If Jesus did not resurrect, what will happen? Then when he resurrected, what has that provided? And how can we apply this in our Christian life? Shall we bow our heads for prayers? Our God and our King, we thank you so much for today. Lord, we can recognize that uh, that week, your last week when you were on earth, from reading through what you were discussing with people and the records of you, we can understand what was going through your mind. From listening to your prayer in John 17, and we can recognize the essence of your living in these last seven days. Even, Lord, for the wisdom by which you answered questions, for the wisdom by which you communicate the truth, even when foolish questions are asked, for your heart and interest in us to be able to carry the same authority that the Father gave you, which you told us, we also received it, but it only operates by faith that can never doubt my God, and I pray for everyone. May the unction that was upon you in your last seven days fall upon every one of us here. May the glory of your presence surround us, O oh God. May the wisdom with which you spoke, may he, O oh God, be imprinted in our spirits. That whenever we open our mouth, O oh God, we will speak with the same kind of wisdom. When people question us and set trap for us, Father, we will not fall into the trap of man. When people ask questions and expect us to be totally downfalling, Lord, that we will be exalted by the question that was asked as we go into the wisdom of the Spirit of Christ to answer every question. And Lord, when you will come, I ask you, grant us the wisdom that you spoke about the five wise, wise virgins, that we will still have oil burning in our lamp. Lord, we will not be fed off of our routine with you. Father, we will increase in our worship of you. We will increase in our service to you. Our lips will not promise when our action is not performing. Lord, we ask and pray in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that you will uphold this house with your righteous right hand. Thank you, Father, because it's done. In Jesus' holy and anointed name we are praying. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Put your hands together for the Lord. Pastor Tayo, can you come and uh, conduct our giving and then the announcement. But before Pastor Tayo comes, let me announce this to you.